Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Duval, welcome in to another episode of the Gin Jag Podcast. Jordan DeLugo and Jeremy Markoski here with you, as always. It is NFL schedule release day, Wednesday, May 12th. We've got a bunch of the Jaguars schedule already leaked out thanks to various sources, mainly Dilla. Um, it looks like we've got most of it, if not all of it, and we will run through that at the end of the show, wait for some more potential updates on that. But uh, we'll also talk Tim Tebow. Tim Tebow saga continues in Jacksonville. And then we'll do a Jacksonville Jaguars progress report after the first four months of the Urban Meyer experience. It's kind of hard to believe it's already been four months, but he was hired uh, mid-January. We're in mid-May now. Four months down. Um, got a few summer months here, and then we're going to get into training camp, preseason, and the regular season. Urban Myers first is an NFL head coach, head coach of the Jacksonville Jaguars. It's been kind of a whirlwind. Uh, I know, Jeremy, you have plenty to say about the Tim Tebow situation with Urban Meyer and all that. But first, how the heck are you? Doing good. Doing great. It's an exciting time. You know, things are starting to shape up. We're getting closer to the season, and I'm, I'm just ready. You know, once the schedule starts to get released and you kind of see who you're playing, where you're playing, when you're playing – Football is right around the corner, man, and it's an exciting time to, to you know be a part of this and be following the team and you know see where they go from here. Yeah, rookie minicamp this weekend. Uh, Saturday is the only day open to the media. Unfortunately, that's also my birthday, and my wife already has some fun plans in store for me, which she has not uh, shared with with me what those plans are. But I just know I do not have abil- availability to go to that. So I'll miss out on rookie minicamp, but Trevor will be missing out on that as well, at least with the on-field throwing and practicing, uh, I would expect. So not too big of a deal, but there will be some updates this weekend with that rookie minicamp. I'm sure you'll see plenty of information on the timeline about that. Um, check out ginjag.com. Keep up with all the latest Jaguars news and analysis. Of course, thank you to Bold City Brewery, one and only sponsor of the show. Make sure to check them out at their downtown location on East Bay Street and at the Riverside Tap Room on Roselle. So, Jeremy, let's go ahead and kick this show off with a little Tim Tebow talk. If you had asked me this a month ago, I definitely would not have expected for this to be a talking point. But here we are. And uh, like Shrek, this situation has many layers. I will let you go ahead and take it away and uh, just kind of give us what, you, what you've what you been thinking about. I know you had a nice piece you wrote today. Got a lot of thoughts on this. So go ahead, Jeremy. I mean, you know, it, it's, it's something that before it happened, you, like you said, would have never thought about it. You're shaking your head. No, no, no. There's no way. But the more you get into it, you know, it. it it's kind of like it makes sense. Not it makes sense uh, from a personnel standpoint, from a team standpoint, but 
you know, it's not the craziest thing in the world uh, in the realm of possibilities when it comes to Urban Meyer and his time here as a head coach. You know, we, we saw so many jokes when he took the job about Tebow coming, uh, you know, to Jacksonville and, and signing with the Jaguars. And next thing you know, Urban Meyer lives down the road and, and those jokes kind of turn into reality. And you've seen so many different reactions across so many different types of people you know, throughout the league and, and throughout the media and throughout the fans even, uh, you know, regarding this signing. And I think everyone's got a pretty valid point, no matter what point's being made. And, and you know, if I, I definitely broke this down a lot uh, more in depth earlier today. Um, but I mean, you can't argue that he's not benefiting from his privilege, you know, his privilege to have the relationship that he has with Urban Meyer after their time at Florida, you know, a Heisman winning quarterback. And, and I don't think that's any different in the football world than it is in the in the natural world, in the business world. And if anyone's going to listen to this and tell me that they've never benefited from a relationship at some point in their life, whether it be getting a job, getting a deal on a car or a house, you know, something along those lines, I'm going to call BS on you all day. That's just how life goes. And uh, I can't remember who it was, but somebody on uh, either NFL Network or ESPN said it best, life isn't fair and this is just one of those situations. Does he deserve this shot? Probably not. Is it going to benefit the team in any way from a roster standpoint? Probably not. But, you know, when you've got an all-time great coach, um, you know, in, in this position, one out of 32 positions in the league, you can't fault him for at least reaching out and seeing, you know, if, if he can get back into the game, if that's really, you know, what his dream is and what his strive is. So I can't fault him for that. But, you know, is it just a chance or are we really just – looking for a chance. I'm not sure. He's 33, hasn't played football in nine years. The body doesn't just jump back into the game of football like that. You know, outside of linemen, I'd really say that you probably haven't seen any position in the sport make a comeback like that. Um, off injury is a little bit different. And, and, you know, with a year or two under your belt out of the game, you just don't see that kind of production when you come back, let alone nine years. So, it's a little questioning. I mean, but I think there are some benefits to it. It keeps the team relevant. It keeps the Jaguars in the media, in the national news. I mean, for the last about a month now, the Jaguars have been talked about daily on NFL Network, ESPN, really every platform. And that's something that fans around here aren't used to. Not something that is very commonplace in Jacksonville. So keeping the team relevant is something that's very important, especially when you're hopefully, you know, trying to turn this thing around and create a national brand, an NFL brand, and really kind of boost the Jaguars to the top, you know, a place that they've never been before, even when they were a good team back in the late 90s, early 2000s, and then again back in 2017, they've never really been a focal point of the National Football League, and that's where you need to get. And when you get a quarterback like this, when you get a guy like this, a coach like this, you're bringing all that attention. You've got to build that momentum and keep it going. So I'm hoping, you know, it's just – a media distraction um, in a good way. You're, you're, you're bringing the team again, like I said, to the forefront of everything, you know, that is being talked about in the national football league, but he takes away that distraction from Trevor that, you know, the eyes aren't going to be all on Trevor. Trevor's not going to have all that pressure, um, all that stress, you know, of, of what he's brought here to do, which is turn an entire NFL franchise around and it, it's all on his shoulders. So take that load off him a little bit, take the attention off of him. I think that'll work wonders for him. 
Tebow can be a mentor to Trevor. Now, I'm not going to say he's going to be a positional mentor because I don't really think that Tebow is going to be a guy who's going to be a quarterback coach, but teach him how to deal with the stress of the game. Teach him how to prepare. Teach him how to work hard. Teach him how to you know block out the negativity. This is something that Tebow has had to deal with his entire career, um, no matter if they're attacking him for his faith or his play or whatever it may be. He's had to deal with that, and he's done it well. So while I think it's a stunt, and and again, I wrote about it today, my bottom line is I think there's a predetermined position for him outside of the 53-man roster. Um, and maybe they're just kind of using this as a roadmap to get there and do some of the things I just talked about. But it's a stunt nonetheless. And I think when you are trying to take a franchise who just went 1-15 and and turn them into a successful franchise, all while setting up probably the most influential draft pick, if not the most influential draft pick, not only in your franchise history, but potentially in the NFL's history. There's no time for stunts here. You've got to do what you can to protect this guy and put him in the best position to succeed. And I don't know if Tim Tebow really does that. So that's my rant. That's how I feel about it. I think there are so many ways that you can look at this and it makes sense. Um, and, and, you know, in the same way, there are so many different angles you can take that this doesn't make sense. And I think it's all just a whirlwind right now. And it's, it's, it's got me scratching my head on one end, but then on the other side, I can kind of see where we may benefit from this. Yeah, it is a crazy situation. Um, I do think his influence on any sports team is probably going to be positive. Tim Tebow is just because that's who he is. He's a positive rah, rah hardworking, you know, tireless worker type of guy that's going to give you everything he's got. And usually he's going to inspire more people than he kind of irritates because there are some people that are going to be out there that aren't going to like, you know, his kind of mantra and all that. But the Gator fan in me and the Jacksonville native, you know, Tebow's from Jacks, obviously, wants to see him succeed and is kind of excited about this. But the part of me that has been covering the Jaguars and the NFL for the last five years and dealing with players and coaches and all that stuff, you know, there's a lot of tight ends that have been playing football recently that are available on the free agent market uh, that are not getting a job because of this. And that kind of rubs me the wrong way. And the bottom line is if Tim Tebow comes into the Jaguars organization as a tight end and finds any sort of success, this would probably be the most unlikely sports story in decades. Like a guy hasn't played football for nine years, has never played tight end as, at a professional or even collegiate level, comes in for his old college head coach, and somehow he's able to make a name for himself, not a name for himself, but he's able to prove himself at a new position nine years after playing a down in the NFL at 33 years old. I mean, it is very unlikely that this ends up playing out well for Tim Tebow in terms of making an impact on the field for the Jaguars. I mean, let's just really kind of categorize it as, you know, what it is. It's it's a fairy tale. It's not... It's it's completely unheard of. It's never been done. We've never seen anything like this. Yes, it'd be awesome, but you know, it, like it, it's just such a long shot. It just doesn't make any sense. There's no data. There's no past history. There's no scenario ever in the history of the NFL 
that would lead me to believe that this will be a successful test or successful, you know, experiment, whatever you want to call it. He's never played tight end really at any level. And I mean, some people say that he played a little bit in high school. I, I get that. We all, you know, probably experiment at different positions in high school, but let's talk about a really, really competitive, you know, state. He's never done it in a competitive state before like that. It's not something that you can just pick up and, and try in not only just football in general, but in the most competitive and highest level of the sport. You don't just pick up, you know, a, a position like that at 33 years old. H back would make more sense. Fullback would make more sense. I understand that he can be a guy that can probably carry the ball and bruise it up a little bit, but we've never seen him catch a ball. Urban has said that he has great ball skills, but the only time we've ever seen him uh, attempt to catch a pass in an NFL game, the ball hit him right in the face mask. So it doesn't lead me to, uh, you know, feel any better about the situation. Yeah. And uh, another point, I think this kind of shows even more or illuminates. I just don't think Urban Meyer cares that much about the tight end position when it comes to having a pass catcher. He probably looks at it like, okay, who can I create more mismatches with? A receiver that's six feet tall and can run a four four, or a tight end that's six foot three and can run a four seven four eight. Like I kind of get where he's coming from. He's never really utilized tight ends that much. You'd have to go back to Florida and Aaron Hernandez um, a long time ago to talk about a tight end that was really heavily featured for Urban Meyer. Uh, I think he's going to have to adjust that line of thinking a little bit because you want to have good quality players at every position and the Jaguars just don't have any quality pass catchers at tight end right now. I love James O'Shaughnessy, but that is a guy that you want to be your number two or three pass catching tight end, not your number one guy. Definitely. And you know, when we had our concerns about Urban Meyer and him adjusting to the NFL, this was one of them. The NFL is different. You know, as much as it is starting to adapt to college style of play and, you know, college football. It's still the NFL. It's still the next jump. It's still a completely different game. Now, yes, the tight end is becoming a little bit more of a nuance in today's NFL than it was in the past, but there's still a need for it. And and every team has one. And I don't think that we're there yet to where you can take the approach of just not having a tight end. Kind of like the fullbacks nowadays. I get it. You don't really have a true fullback on the roster. You can use you know, some of these H-back tight end guys to play your fullback, but I, I don't think we're there yet with the tight end just because the tight end does so many more things than just become a pass catcher. You know, if you're not going to use a tight end as a pass catcher, I get that, but you can't not have one at all because you're going to need an extension of that offensive line in certain formations. And if you don't have that and you're going for those short yardage formations, those goal line formations, you're going to have to bring in extra offensive linemen. And that just doesn't really add any sort of trickery or any sort of you know questionability to what you're about to do on the offensive side of the ball and when the defense knows what's coming that's when they're most effective i think that's where this is going to hurt the jaguars they're not going to have any variation they're not really going to be able to fool anybody or you know really create any um questionable situations for the defense in those short yardage goal line situations yeah, you've either got that or, you know, if another roster move isn't made at tight end besides Tebow, can Manhurts, Farrell, Tebow, O'Shaughnessy, can those guys do enough in those situations to make the defense respect them 
as pass catchers. I don't know. It's it's doubtful. I mean, we haven't seen any of them do it besides O'Shaughnessy, which I mean, I like O'Shaughnessy a lot. I think he can add a lot more than we've seen from him in the past, especially if he's featured a little bit more in the offense. He's not your, you know, prototypical uh, pass catching tight end. Uh, he's a little more of an old school block first, catch second kind of guy. He's not going to get 50 or 60 targets in a season, but I think he can be effective. Now, man hurts. Um, Luke Farrell and Tim Tebow combined have what I believe is five catches at every level throughout their careers. Five catches, and they're all from one tight end. It it just it doesn't really add up to me. Yeah, I mean, Farrell had some. Uh, I think he had five at Ohio State, did he not? In, in his whole career? I thought he had a few more than and that. And Manhurts um, has never either way. Yeah, either way, though, he was not heavily featured at Ohio State as a receiver. Manhurts and him are both that wide tight end position. Um, so, yeah, I think it is something Urban's going to have to adjust. And I don't think they're done trying to add pieces at tight end, but I just don't think he's making it a priority to add a bonafide pass catcher at the position. We'll see how it plays out. He could be smarter than all of us, but generally when college coaches come in and they think they can just outsmart the NFL and it's their way and they're arrogant about it, it doesn't work out. Urban Meyer is a tireless worker, meticulous guy. He's going to have plans on offense, but you have to have the defense respect the tight ends that are on the field outside of just being blockers. Absolutely. And I'm not saying you have to have a prolific guy and the tight end position may be lower on your list when it comes to prioritizing it versus other positions. I get that, but this makes it look like it is so low on your list that you would be okay with not having one. Basically. That's how I see it. I understand that it's not going to be a top priority and probably not in his offense, but it's just like you're kicking dirt on it, burying it away and throwing it out to the curb. Yeah, you're eliminating an avenue to potentially have more success. Absolutely. Essentially. Absolutely. We'll see how it all plays out. Um, There is plenty of firepower on that offense. I don't think either of us would sit here and say that that's not the case. But the NFL can be a matchup league. And to not have a guy that can win as a pass-catching tight end outside of James O'Shaughnessy, well, we'll see how it plays out. Make sure to follow Jeremy on Twitter at Jeremy Markowski, myself at Jordan DeLugo, of course, Generation Jaguar at Generation Jag. And if you enjoy the show, please, please leave us a review on the Apple Podcast app. Those uh, reviews and ratings greatly help us reach more Jaguar fans. And that's what we're trying to do here. Now, enough of the Tim Tebow talk. Pretty much spent the first 18 minutes of the show on that. Uh, Hopefully we haven't bored you to tears too much on that or pissed you off, but um, it's time to get into the progress report for the Jaguars. Four months into the Urban Meyer era, um, he's had a lot of work to do. Started out with the coaching staff and front office moves, you know, keeping Trent Baalke going and uh, adding almost 30 coaches to his staff. And then obviously he went through free agency, his first free agency, went through the draft. So we're going to kind of take a look at all that and then give our assessment of where these position groups are, where these roster groups are, how the Jaguars are as their roster. It's not set at this point, but you're only 
maybe going to see one or two more moves that could make an impact throughout the rest of the offseason. This is pretty much what you're working with. Um, there could be a trade eventually for, you know, maybe a tight end, who knows. But uh, this is pretty much what you're working with at this point. So you got Trent Balky that decided to retain. I wasn't a huge fan of that decision, but as you talked about in our pre, uh, pre-podcast meeting there, Trent Balky being here is another sign that this is Urban Meyer's show. And I don't have a problem with that. Absolutely. They didn't have to go out and make a flashy GM hire. Um, they kept it in the building. And, and you know, again, like I reiterated earlier, like you mentioned, it just really hammers home the fact that this is Urban's team. I don't think there's any decision being made without Urban's stamp of approval. And I think that's how it should be. And you're seeing that more and more in the NFL as things start to progress. Coaches are getting more power. And I, I don't think that's a bad thing. Gone are the days where a GM puts the team together and expects the coach to do the best that he can with it. And I think that's not how it should work to begin with. You've got to have a coach and a GM who have the same vision because the coach has a certain idea of what kind of players he needs to run his offense. And that has to be married. That has to mirror the same ideals of the GM as he puts the roster together. So it's very obvious that this is Urban's team. I think Trent is obviously there to help him understand the differences between building a roster in college football and building a roster in the NFL. He's been very open and very uh, honest about you know determining need, fit, all that kind of good stuff and, and how that plays into the business side of things. So I think for Urban's sake and, and for the sake of, of how the organization was going to mesh, Balky was the right hire and, and sticking around. Yeah, I, I don't know if I would say he's the right hire. I think he is an okay hire. I think you could have done better with getting someone who has a better track record of success as a drafter, but this is Urban Show. I get that. I cannot fault them too much for getting a guy who's going to fall in line with what Urban wants here. Uh, I, I do understand that. And then when you get to the coaching staff, I think – he really hit it out of the park on a lot of stuff here. You talk about Daryl Bevel, his experience with Russell Wilson and Matt Stafford. Brian Schottenheimer has a lot of experience with good quarterbacks, including Russell Wilson. He's the passing game coordinator. Bevel is, of course, the offensive coordinator. And then you talk about Joe Cullen on defense. He's never called an NFL defense, so that will be a new challenge from him for him. But he is bringing over that Ravens multi-front system, Ravens and Ravens inspired defense. You got to really like that. And of course, um, Ryan Schneider, the special teams coordinator had a lot of success with Seattle and urban Meyer has a very good knowledge of special teams himself. So when you look at that staff and then you look at uh, some of the other minor guys, Charlie strong, he's a linebackers coach, but he's also the assistant head coach. So he's a big figure in urban Meyer's program. It just, I think it was a good blend of familiar faces and then NFL guys with experience at the critical spots coaching staff-wise. When you look at the staff and the breakdown and how this kind of shaped out, the first thing that jumps off the page, in my opinion, is the team of Bevel and Schottenheimer. Like you said, two guys who have shown that they are able to mold and coach successful quarterbacks in the NFL. And that was paramount and key coming into this offseason, knowing that you're in line to get Trevor Lawrence. What have we talked about for months? The key to this team, the key to the franchise's success is to set him up 
in the best situation to succeed, and they immediately started doing that with two guys who know how to orchestrate a, a passing offense and really help quarterbacks develop. We've seen it before. Hopefully they're going to do it again. And like I said, Joe Cullen on defense brings that multiple scheme. It changes things up in, in Jacksonville, something we haven't really seen for a while um, since really Gus Bradley got here, and, and he brought that Seahawk mentality, that Seahawk defense. Granted, it was still more of a traditional 4-3. This is going to be the first, really, I think, big change in base that the franchise has ever seen, but it adds a lot of intrigue. It adds a lot of um, you know, dynamic playmaking ability on the defensive side of the ball because I think it fits the roster so much better. Yeah, I really do too. And it's kind of funny. I didn't think about it this way. As the Jaguars part ways with the Seattle cover three system, they pretty much invite everything else from Seattle <laughs> into the organization. So that is kind of funny to look at it that way. But uh, yeah, I think I think they did a very good job with this staff. Obviously, Joe Cullen is going to have to prove that he can d- get it done as a play caller. And I think he will. He's a very bright guy. Uh, good coach and he's gonna bring he's gonna bring aggressiveness he's gonna bring a lot of nickel and dime sets a lot of different looks up front and in the back end and it'll be up to these players to make sure that they can kind of execute his vision and I think they got the type of players with versatility to do that and part of that came from free agency which was the next step in the process Uh, they went out and got Marvin Jones on offense he was the main offensive star that they got. Also added Carlos Hyde, who's a great depth back, in my opinion, coming from um, his background with Trent Baalke, with Urban Meyer back at Ohio State. And he's been playing well after leaving Jacksonville in that kind of bizarre scenario. But you've got Marvin Jones, who's another bona fide receiving threat. On defense, you went and got Shaq Griffin, who's an excellent press man corner. Looks like they're going to be running a lot of that under Joe Cullen. Malcolm Brown, big run stuffer. Roy Robertson-Harris can line up all over the defensive line. Rayshon Jenkins has that versatility at safety to line up in the box, line up at slot, line up uh, as a, a safety in a split zone or deep safety. So I think what they did in free agency, especially on defense, getting guys that can probably execute what Joe Cullen's vision is, Uh, And then adding Marvin Jones on offense, I think that was huge. Free agency, to me, I I really kind of border on how I feel about it. And my report card grade for Urban Meyer's free agency was a C-. Urban Meyer, Trent Baalke, the whole organization. And here's why. I don't think they did enough. And I think we both kind of agree you know, once you saw what the market was going to be, the players that were out there, it just didn't feel like Jacksonville was – really in conversations for some of the top guys like we felt we needed to be. Now, don't get me wrong. You've got some some great depth additions. Um, you've got, I think Shaq Griffin is a huge signing and then probably the best signing that Jacksonville came out of free agency with. And, and Marvin Jones is right there with them. He's going to give you some veteran leadership and a veteran uh, presence in that wide receiver room to help Trevor grow. But they weren't really the splash signings that we were expecting. Um, they weren't really... I think game changers. And that's what I struggle with. You know, going into this free agency, we needed game changers. We talked about it. You know, free agency is for need. This team needed a lot. And I don't really think outside of those two guys, they really drafted anybody who immediately, I'm sorry, not drafted, signed anybody who immediately made them better, who immediately jumped to the front of the depth chart, um, completely, you know, cleared their way. You're going to have some impact guys in there. Don't get me wrong. But 
nothing that really I think Malcolm Brown was Malcolm huge Brown too. is huge. We we need a run stopper, but still not at least in my opinion. Not, not a, a game, game changer, changer, but a guy who's going to help you not out. Not a marquee early. signing. He's a big two gap stuffer, and I think he's going to work wonders, especially um, you know, and, and stuffing the run. But what I did see, and especially on the defensive side of the ball, is they did build a, a, a personnel grouping, especially on the defensive line in the front seven, that's really going to help their ability to run that multiple front. You've got guys who can play all across the defensive line. You've got guys who can specialize on the edge. You've got guys who, like Malcolm Brown, are going to step up when you go to that 3-4 and eat two gaps, eat two blocks, really take up space. So that's one thing that I will give them credit for. They they really made it possible, at least from my perspective, to run this multiple front. They've got guys who are going to do a lot of different things for you and are really going to contribute on the defense side of the ball. Now, the offense... Don't really see much change. Obviously, you knew you had Trevor Lawrence coming in, and, and that's being said. But the only real impact player so far that came out of free agency was Marvin Jones. Yep. Yeah, I don't think they hit it out of the park in free agency, but I do think they added the guys they added that were marquee names that were big signings like Marvin Jones and Shaq Griffin. Those guys are going to pay dividends. I think Griffin is going to end up kind of being a steal, even though he was the most expensive one, just because Seattle, again, he comes from Seattle where they were running a lot of cover three. But when you look at the numbers, when he was running press man, he was only allowing 48% completion. So uh, this is a guy that if you project what Joe Cullen's going to bring over from Baltimore, he should fit that perfectly. He should. He should, he should jump right in, and, and he should be an automatic impact player. He should be your number one corner. I mean, I really do think that. Now, you've got to expect to see a big jump here from C.J. Henderson. Um, you are going to have to see Sidney Jones hopefully start to really you know, form and well, conform to, to the player that we thought he could be um, before that injury and you know, as much as it sucks, and we'll get into the draft class here soon, Tyson Campbell is is going to have to produce early on and very often if you want this secondary to be anything better than it was last year, which was basically Swiss cheese, and so was the defensive line. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it was, and injuries had to do with that as well, obviously. Um, now, moving ahead to the draft, and then after that, we'll kind of really break down passing game, running game, run defense, pass defense, special teams, all that good stuff, and give those grades. Uh, the roster improvement via the draft, obviously Trevor Lawrence was a massive improvement uh, over what you had on the roster, uh, generational-type quarterback prospect. And then you've got Travis Etienne, who's another guy that's going to give you a lot of juice. It's going to make it easier for Trevor Lawrence to transition, and he's going to give your offense a big play splash ability. Um, day two, you look at it, I think Tyson Campbell, like you said, is he ready to contribute on a high level? He's probably going to need to be. Walker Little hasn't played since he tore his ACL in 2019. Um, again, he doesn't have to come in and contribute right away. Andre Cisco, uh, the next pick, he's coming off an ACL as well. He's still rehabbing. So who knows when he's going to be ready to play. Uh, you do like what you got in J2 Fele there. And then the rest of the day three guys are more depth. Um, so not a huge impact. So I, I, we've talked about their draft a lot lately. I don't think we have to get too deep into it. Um, but the 
the big thing is you got Trevor Lawrence and you got him a weapon um, in my mind. Right. And, and like you said, we went into uh, details at nauseam about the draft already. So I won't spend too much time here either. Like you said, Trevor Lawrence, clear cut. We can even act like that wasn't even a thing because we knew that was coming and we knew there's no surprise there. But you have to go all the way down until pick 106, in my opinion, to find a player who you expect to be an immediate impact guy on this team. And that's where I kind of scratch my head and that's where I question you know, this, this draft's success overall because they talked about it going in. It's got to be for impact guys. You've got one, obviously, in Trevor Lawrence. Uh, you got a weapon in ETN, but it, it's still, you know, you cannot act like his his touches aren't going to be cut because you've got a guy already in that running back room who has proven uh, to be a really impact guy. Campbell, not ready. Little is rehabbing. Cisco is rehabbing. So like I said, all the way down to 120. I mean, Little shouldn't be rehabbing anymore. He's got to get back up. Still yeah, he's got to get back up to game speed. He's yeah. got to get back into football shape. Um, Hopefully he's in shape, but you still got to, you know, transition into the NFL and you know kind of I think taking a year off prior to that is going to make that a little bit harder so he's not going to be an impact guy right away we know that so after number one in my opinion you've got to go all the way down to 106 to find a player who you expect to make an impact week one yeah that's tough and uh, they definitely could have done better there we gave our draft grades already so we don't need to get into that but now that you know the talent acquisition, the coaching staff, all that stuff is complete. We can kind of start looking at what this team really looks like. And we'll start out with the most critical area of a football team in the modern NFL. That is the passing game. Um, what what do you see from this passing game, their potential in 2021, and what grade would you give Ooh, them? Man, I've got to say a B plus because – Automatically, right off the bat, getting Trevor Lawrence is, is just going to completely change your pass offense. It's going to completely change everything that you can do when you have a quarterback with a great arm, the ability to throw the ball to any part of the field, and you've already got a great group of receivers, in my opinion. So immediately, it becomes probably one of your most prolific parts of the team. Am I wrong? I agree with you 100%. I also have them at a B plus. And they, they could go higher, certainly. There's a much higher ceiling than that. I think the floor is probably a B-, and that's just if Trevor kind of struggles a little bit. I don't think he's going to ha- be a quarterback that's going to con- consistently struggle. But uh, he is adjusting to the NFL game. He is adjusting to a new offense that obviously will be designed around his skill set. But when you look at... Um, Trevor, Marvin, DJ, LaVisca, even the guys after that, you could feel good about with Colin Johnson, um, John Vay Johnson, some of the other guys, Terry Godwin, Jalen Camp, uh, and Travis Etienne, of course, is a receiver. And then you look at the interior of the offensive line, you got to feel pretty good about. At tackle, you got some questions. I think they're more than passable, but are they going to cost you at times? They haven't been in a lot of luck close games lately hopefully you don't see Jawan taylor or cam robinson being an issue when you've got tight games but yeah this the sky's the limit for this passing offense and i think a fair grade right now is a b plus because you have trevor you have great receivers and you have a good enough offense. i do want to make sure that i answered 
all of your question uh, because I want to say it's storming over here a little bit. So you cut out for about three or four seconds. Did I answer everything uh, that you were asking? Because I kind of just caught you at the tail end of that um, asking what my thoughts were. Oh, okay, yeah, okay no, I wanted to make sure. Yeah, you, I kind of lost internet connection there for a second. But the big thing with the it's offensive line that that I, I it bothers me. This number being thrown out there, you know, was it? eight sacks that Jawan Taylor gave up last year, or was it 18 sacks that Jawan Taylor gave up last year? Regardless, both of those numbers are terrible. One of them, I think, warrants you being kicked out of the league immediately if you're giving up 18 sacks in a 16-game season, but that's really the the biggest question mark. We both agreed, I think, going in to the offseason that you had to make some sort of improvement on the offensive line, and they didn't. It's going to be the same five guys uh, you know, coming in week one, and, and that I do struggle with being okay with. I just, I, I don't like that when you've got a guy who gave up again, whether it's eight or 18, that number. It's not 18. It's and so that's what I thought too, but definitely that's what I thought digits. too. D rock came on uh 10, 10 XL the other day and reiterated that the 18 number is correct. I've seen that disputed multiple times. I, that's what I'm hoping. And and that's what they, they said. Are you sure? And he said, yeah, it was 18. I don't think it was 18 either. Yeah. I don't think correct. it is either, but again, even if it's eight, or it's 18, those, that, that's a half a sack a game on the low end. That's 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 not good. And when you have a guy... The pressures were more concerning. And the, and the, and yes, that, that goes right into it. Look what just happened to Joe Burrow last year. Look what just happened to the guy that was supposed to save Cincinnati. I mean, you cannot have that happen to Trevor Lawrence. You cannot have that happen. And I'm, I'm not confident enough in this line to say that there's no worry in my mind that you know he may be on the ground a lot. Yeah, um, he could be, but I still think he'll be able to overcome it to an extent as long as it's not just like a <laughs> – I mean, if they play the way they played last year on the offensive line, I think yeah, he'll Sacks be are okay. going to go down. He's going to um, get the ball out quicker. I think his decision-making is more crisp than Minshew, but you know, the, the, the questions are still there. Yeah, and then when you look at the running game, I have them as a B-plus as well. You've got James Robinson – Obviously came out, balled out last year. You got a strong run-blocking group up front um, that were able to clear enough holes for him to do what he did last year. And then you add Carlos Hyde and Travis Etienne to that mix. You've got another steady back in Carlos Hyde, and then you've got the home run hitter in Etienne. You do. You have a very dynamic group. And, you know, I will not admit anything other than Etienne is an absolute weapon. And I don't care who you are, what team you are, where you put him on the field, he's a threat, a home run threat at any time. And if there's one thing this offensive line does do well, it's make holes. They run block extremely well. Andrew Norwell probably had his best season as a Jaguar last year, which is unfortunate that it came uh, at a time where the team lost 15 games in a row, but they can move bodies, they can create space. And if they weren't able to do that, you wouldn't have seen James Robinson have the success that he had last year. He's not a pass-catching guy by any means. He's running the ball between the tackles. You know, he, he's, he's running consistently. That's where he's getting all of his touches. So you've got... He's got the pass-catching he, work. He's, he's, got, he's got the ability, but he's not your prototypical pass-catching back. I mean, he just really isn't. He's a guy you're going to line up. But that right. ETN's going right. to give you that extra aspect in that game, and I think he's going to contribute well there. You've got a guy in Carlos Hyde who can be a great, uh, not a change of pace back, but a great guy to come in and give a couple carries to when James Robinson needs a breather, and ETN's going to be able to do it all. So I think they're going to have a lot of production out of guys from behind the line of scrimmage this year. 
Yeah, I do too. And that's going to be a staple of Urban Meyer. He's always said 250 yards passing, 250 yards rushing. That's the perfect game on offense. Uh, so offensively, I think we both think there's a fairly high ceiling and fairly high floor. There is a there is a very, very high ceiling. And I think that has a lot to do with, obviously, again, Trevor Lawrence. I don't know if my floor is as high as yours because I could see a lot of different ways how this could go south real quick. But I think, and all of them have to do with the and, offensive and all of them line, have to do with right? the offensive line. Absolutely. I mean, unless Trevor Lawrence just comes yeah. out and, and fooled everyone, and he is not a great quarterback, and he comes out and, and pulls a Ryan Leaf, but I don't see that happening. I, I, I am. Oh God! Don't even you have put to. that out you, there. You can't act like it's it's not been the back of your mind this entire time. There's always that chance. I think Trevor Lawrence is a different guy. Um, I don't think that's going to happen. But yeah, it's it's all around the offensive line either. They're going to protect him, keep him upright, and he's going to get a great feel for the game early on, and things are going to click, and he's going to be able to lean on his running back room and really you know, let them support him and carry him through the season, or he's going to be running for his life, making bad decisions, forcing throws, and it's not going to look pretty. So I think, I think it's one extreme or the other, though. Would you agree on that? I think either this offense is extremely productive and they're extremely prolific, or everything comes crashing down. I don't think you're going to see just kind of an in-the-middle-of-the-road offense here. I, I really don't. I think you could. I wouldn't put it out of the range of possibilities. And I, I wouldn't say that they'll be middle-of-the-road regularly, but maybe some inconsistencies week-to-week I could see just because there's going to be some defenses that are very tough for rookie quarterbacks to handle on this schedule. And we're going to get into that schedule here in a little bit. But first, got to get to the defensive side of the ball I think there's a lot more potential for volatility on defense where you could see a pretty poor defense. You could see a defense that's very adept at making plays and getting off the field. Uh, Joe Cullen calling plays for the first time in the NFL. You have to see how that plays out. You've got a lot of new pieces around this defense with all the free agent signings, draft picks, um, guys coming back from injury. It's going to be fascinating. You look at the run defense, I think you feel very good about what you have in the middle with Malcolm Brown, Devon Hamilton, Costin, Tufele, um, all those guys. And then with Miles Jack, obviously, as a linebacker helping in run defense and Joe Schobert. I think you feel pretty good about that run defense. I have them as a B run defense. I could see a little bit lower of a floor and a little bit higher of a ceiling, but that's where I have. If them we're right now. talking strictly run defense here, I'm gonna have to go with the C minus uh, because it was just statistically wow. and historically one of the worst run defenses in the NFL, and this is directly going to coincide with the quantity over quality debate. We didn't really get, I think, a ton of quality guys, and if we did, we don't know that yet because some of these guys haven't really shown that uh, in the NFL. You've got some guys who haven't gotten a lot of playing time yet, so you're banking on whatever you think you saw on tape or whatever you've heard from other coaches. I mean, Malcolm Brown is a guy that's a proven run defender. He did it in New England and and in and New Orleans. Getting to that, Malcolm Brown is really the only one, but again, not a prolific type of, of guy, not a cool, you know, a, a top tier quality guy. You didn't get any of those guys in free agency. Now there wasn't really a lot to really get there on the defensive line in free agency. So I get that, but you didn't address in the draft either. So you, you still kind of left yourself a little barren. And again, statistically and historically one of, if not the worst run defenses in the NFL, I didn't see them do enough to, 
make me go into the season believing that they're going to improve that much more in the run defense department. Now, if everything you know puts itself together nicely and the, the, the scheme change, which I think does benefit the players we have helps, then we could see something, but I'm not convinced yet. I'm not convinced that they're going to be much more improved. That's interesting. With those guys I mentioned, Malcolm Brown, Devon Hamilton, um, Doug Costin, J2 Fele, I think you're going to see a much better run defense. And with this defense, a new coordinator, a lot of new pieces, one thing I do think fans should be ready to see is, am I not click immediately? Uh, Kind of similar to what you saw from Spagnolo over in Kansas City his first year, where it kind of took a while. But those young pieces and those veteran pieces it all started kind of meshing down the stretch. I would not be surprised to see it take a while for the defense to mesh. And a lot of new pieces in that past defense we got to talk about. Um, C.J. Henderson going into year two. Uh, Shaq Griffin coming over from Seattle. Rayshon Jenkins coming over from the Chargers. Uh, obviously, you added... Tyson Campbell in the draft. You added Andre Sisco in the draft. You've still got Jared Wilson and Josh Jones. For me, I'm much less confident in the pass defense than I am in the run defense, especially when you look at, I feel good about Josh Allen and I feel good about Caleb on chase on, but I think you need to see it before you can really uh, give him a vote of confidence. Well, the, the pass defense is going to directly coincide with the pass rush and the Jags won't have a lot of that. I think the the scheme change will help. I think you'll get a lot more, um, you know, pass rush generated, and in turn, that will benefit your defensive backs group. The reason why I would be so much higher on the pass defense than I would be on the run defense is because you actually went out and got a quality guy there. You went out and got Shaq Griffin. He was a top tier quality guy in that free agency class, in my opinion. You actually made a splash signing there. The difference between you know, like you see in the, the say the Chiefs mesh is the guy that you're thinking about on that defensive line, the guy who really made that work. You think about Chris Jones, and you're comparing that guy to to Malcolm Brown, and I just don't think it's there. Well, I'm right, not trying no, to do that. That's just where I see it in my head, though. You know what I'm saying? Because because they've got – Yeah, I'm not bit, trying to say that. They don't have Chris Jones. They don't. They absolutely don't, and that could be a downfall. But I think when it comes to run defense, Malcolm Brown can have the impact of Chris Jones, but he's not making those plays on third down. Right. Chris Jones but where my point was going with that was, is you do, again, I know this is going to sound funny. You do have Chris Jones in the secondary and Shaquille Griffin. You went out and got a playmaker, a top tier cornerback in the NFL, at least for the last couple of years. He's still young, still very productive. And you made a splash signing there, and that's why I feel like the defensive backs, the the pass defense is, is going to be more improved than the run defense going forward. And you have guys like Josh Allen who has shown that he can be an absolute dominant force in the pass rush, and then a guy like Caleb on Chason who in the last eight games of the season really turned it up a notch, really started to improve his pressure rate. And if they can build on that this year, especially in a new scheme, especially doing a lot of the crazy things that you see Baltimore defenses do over the years, stunts, twists, you know, bringing guys across the formation, confusing offensive linemen, you're going to see that pressure rate pick up not only just from our outside guys, but across the entire defensive line. And that is going to directly correlate to the success that you're going to see in the passing defensive game. 
you give these quarterbacks less time to throw the ball, they're not going to be as successful. They're going to force throws, make bad decisions, get out of the pocket early, stuff like that. So you've got guys that are going to be able to lock it down on the back end, hopefully. Hopefully you see C.J. Henderson really take that next step forward and become a first-round cornerback. Um, and, and hopefully you see Shaq Griffin pick right up where he left off, and you've got two guys who can hopefully lock down opposing wide receivers. Yeah, I, I could see it. I think on the entire defense, it's just a wait and see because you like a lot of the moves they've made, but they got to prove it. They got to come out and prove that they can be a much better defense than they were last year. I think offensively, you've seen enough to feel very confident. Um, defensively, uh, it's more wait and see for me. Uh, I think the pieces are there, but it's just – does it all come together and how quickly now looking at special teams? What do you see? I got to be honest with you. I haven't really dove too much into special teams. It's a very important part of the game, but, but you know, I'm not going to yeah. spend as much time on that. But what I do see is you're going to get Josh Lambeau back. Um, who's been one of the best kickers in the NFL since he's come to Jacksonville. And you, that cannot be understated. We saw too many games, uh, too many times last year, just be completely derailed by special teams. The Jaguars had like, what, seven different kickers throughout the season. There was no consistency, um, which, you know, special teams, I think, has always been a point of strength for the Jaguars. Even in the bad years, they've always had consistent, productive special teams, whether it was Scobie. Um, you know, you had a little bit of a lag there between Scobie and now Lambeau with a couple guys that didn't really pan out as well, but you've, you've gotten that consistency back. Um, one of the guys that I really have a focus on going to the year is, is Jamal Agnew, a return specialist, a real speedy guy. Don't think he's really going to participate too much in the receiving core, but he is a, an electric punt and kick returner. And if he can steal, uh, you know, a couple touchdowns for you throughout the season, it's probably going to be the difference in a couple games and probably bump up your win total a little bit. So you've got to expect big things from him and you've just got to get that consistency back that you've seen in the past along the special teams unit. Yeah, when you look at this this unit, um, Snyder, excellent special teams coordinator. Urban Meyer also, he's going to be all over making sure that the special teams is what it needs to be. But Lambo, excellent kicker. If he's healthy, you're great there. Logan Cook, excellent punter, no issues there. Jamal Agnew, as you said, maybe the best return man in football. And then you look at the coverage guys they have on the roster, I think you're good to go there as well. I think this special teams unit is an A as long as Josh Lambeau is healthy. And we'll see how that plays out throughout this offseason as he rehabs that hip injury. Hopefully he's 100%. Um, now we're about to get into the schedule here, what we believe to be the schedule. According to Dilla and um, Made by Tim has released this whole schedule. It's not official yet until later this evening. So if there's any errors on here, we do apologize. But we want to go ahead and run through this, have a little fun here. Uh, before we do that, make sure to check out genjag.com as well. We just dropped a go with the flow tee on there. Got a lot of other fun Duval stuff. Go check it out, genjag.com. All right, so what we do know for sure, week one at Houston. Jaguars are 1.5 point favorites on the road against their division rivals, the Houston Texans, who have obviously had a a rough offseason, to put it lightly. How do we see that game shaking out? I think that you've got to chalk this up as a dub, given everything that's 
taken place for Houston over the offseason. I mean, their franchise is an absolute mess. Um, you know, they thought they had it all figured out with the franchise quarterback, and even then, he didn't have a great year last year. Um, well, he did. The team didn't. Didn't lead to a lot of wins. And then, you know, the whole right. situation that has, you know, come into the limelight uh, with the sexual misconduct and the allegations, all that kind of good stuff. Bad stuff, not good stuff. That's not what I meant by that. So excuse me there. But you get what I'm saying. All that stuff is just bringing the organization down. I mean, they're in complete shambles. I don't think they're going to be competitive week one, and there's nothing that would point to me otherwise. They didn't make any sort of splash in the draft. Um, you know, Who's going to be their starting quarterback week one? Is it going to be Tyrod Taylor? Uh, that's probably their best bet. And, you know, I, I just don't see him leading Houston on some sort of, of winning streak. And week one against a divisional opponent is always tough. I think the Jaguars are going to be hungry. I think Houston is is really still dealing with the shell-shocking um, turnover that, that's going to happen. And, and it's going to be a tough game for them. They're not going to come out ready to play. And I think Jacksonville is going to open up with an automatic win. Yeah, I do too. Even if Urban Meyer and the Jaguars aren't ready to compete for the playoffs in year one, which remains to be seen, I think they're definitely ready to compete and beat the Houston Texans. I'll take that one and a half point line easily if I'm a betting man. And then they return home for two straight games, it looks like, against the Denver Broncos, Arizona Cardinals. How do we see those two get home you games? You know how I feel about Denver. Um, you know, bearing any crazy change to the quarterback position, they still don't have one. Um, I don't hate Drew Locke, and I, and I didn't hate him coming out, and I thought there may be something there, but he just hasn't been successful. Um, Denver had the second worst point differential in the NFL last year behind only yours truly, the Jacksonville Jaguars. And they haven't shown me anything that I think is going to change that this year. So I think, again, you're, you're set up in a great position to get another win under your belt early. It's at home. The bank is going to be rocking with everyone uh, you know, there to support Trevor and see the new-look Jaguars. I think if you're coming off a week one victory, it's going to be even crazier. The hype is just going to be incredible. That's going to be a tough environment to Denver or for Denver to come and play in. And even with all of the playmakers they have on defense – Von Miller's returning. Again, I can't stress it enough. Still had the second worst point differential in the NFL. Look for the Jaguars to pick up two wins early. Yeah, I agree with you on Denver as well. I do think the defense could present problems, especially Vic Fangio. He got a lot better on that side of the ball with some of the moves this offseason and with getting Von Miller back, it looks like so. I could be tough, but I'm going to give him a dub because I think ultimately Trevor Lawrence is going to be a lot better than anybody that the Denver Broncos tried out on the field at quarterback. And then week three versus Arizona, I've also got them winning that one. I don't think Cliff Kingsbury is long for the NFL as a head coach. I don't love their defense. I, I, I'd like a lot of what they've done. Uh, I do I do think Kyler Murray's a lot of fun, but I just don't think they have the coaching and the talent to keep up with the Jaguars and Jacksonville. This is the first time we're going to disagree so far. I think Arizona is going to put a little bit of damper on the Jaguars' hot start. Kyler Murray is a lot of fun, and he is a multi-dimensional quarterback. And I think the more that he gets experience in the NFL and in Cliff Kingbury's offense, uh, the better off they're going to be. They have weapons on offense. The defense, I think, is suitable. They're not the best defense in the league, but you've got some guys over there who can make an impact on the game. And I think that's going to be Jacksonville's first real test. I expect more from Arizona this year than probably others do. I think it's going to be a tough matchup week three in Duval. All righty. After that, this is the first and only 
if uh, what we've seen is accurate. Primetime game for the Jaguars. Thursday night football, week four at Cincinnati. Trevor Lawrence versus Joe Burrow. I mean, this absolutely baffles me that this is going to be the only primetime game the Jaguars get. It just really goes to show they're going to have to earn everything from the league. I can't remember the last time a number one overall pick didn't get at least a few primetime games, at least one Monday night, one Sunday night somewhere. I get it's a Thursday night. That doesn't really count in my eyes. Um, But I think the Jaguars can go to Cincinnati and get a win in Thursday night football against the Bengals. Bengals still aren't a great team. They didn't really put... uh, a lot together. I mean, they've, they added another weapon uh, in the draft for Joe Burrow to throw to, but I just, I don't see that being a defining factor of the team. They lost some veteran presence with AJ green. Their offensive line is still not great. They did not improve that at all. And that's what led to their downfall last year. So look for the Jaguars to get after uh, Cincinnati coming off a loss. Yeah, I think uh, losing AJ green is going to ultimately be to their benefit. Um, from my point of view, but uh, yeah, I've got them winning this one as well. I don't think the Bengals have as complete of a roster. I think Trevor Lawrence is a better football player than Joe Burrow. Uh, so yeah, I've got the Jags starting four and oh, what the hell is this now things I believe after this point, And again, this is very early. We're only doing this for fun. This is not going to be our official predictions. We're just going through the schedule as we get it. Have a little fun here. Talk about what we see. It gets a lot tougher here after week four. You've got Tennessee um, and Jacksonville, and then you travel to London to take on the Dolphins. Uh, That is technically a home game. Of course, not really a home game for the Jaguars as they have to travel uh, across the pond to host the Dolphins. Derrick Henry will continue to put the Jaguars fans to bed with nightmares week in and week out. Uh, before it's all said and done, he's probably going to have 50% of his career rushing yards against the Jaguars. I don't think anything changes there. He's just going to run us over again. The, the defense has not improved enough to stop Derrick Henry. Yeah, I don't think so either. And I think the Jaguars are going to lose that game. Um, Miami and London, similar to Denver, I think that Miami is going to give Trevor Lawrence some fits on defense. Um, it all comes down to what what is Tua going to look like in this offense, really, for Miami. Is he going to be, be able to take that next step as a year two quarterback? I have the Jaguars losing My thoughts, this exactly. Well. It's going to boil down to Tua. Um, you know, it, and I don't think that at this point in the season, from what I saw from him last year, he's going to be leading a prolific offense. And the Jaguars always play well in London. They always seem to really kind of, whether it be gather the energy in the stadium for being the home team and, and really the, the you know, um, I don't know what you want to call it, but basically they're, they're London's team. Um, you know, whether they're there or not, they always seem to play well. So I think that coupled with the question marks around Tua and that offense, Brian Flores is going to put up probably some very uh, confusing schemes for Trevor Lawrence. But I think at this point in, in the season, your offense is probably running uh, at full strength. And I think they're going to bring down the Dolphins in, in London. Interesting. So going into a week seven bye based on what we've seen so far, I think we both have the Jaguars at four and two. All right. So. Now we get into a really tough stretch here 
at Seattle, then home against Buffalo, then at Indy, and you got San Francisco and Atlanta after that. Then you've got at the Rams. We'll go through those games real quick here. Uh, at Seattle, you are coming off a bye, so you like that. But traveling to the West Coast is always tough, especially for the Jaguars. I do I as got well. The Jaguars never play well on the West Coast um, prior to winning in Oakland, I don't think they had won there in the last like eight to ten years or something like that. We've talked about it before. The Jaguars just don't play well in the West Coast. They're going to get probably rocked by Seattle over there. Uh, and then you have Josh Allen coming to town. Uh, the Bills, who were a very powerful playoff team a year ago, I think they're only going to get better um, with Josh Allen behind the helm. I think they give the Jaguars uh, two back-to-back losses coming off the bye there. Yeah, I do as well. We're on the same page. Seattle, I think if you're playing in a neutral site, that is an interesting matchup because I don't think they are who they used to be. They do have more offensive firepower than they used to. But um, in Seattle, that's just too tough. And the Buffalo Bills, they should be a favorite to win their division and potentially get back to the AFC championship game. Uh, So yeah, that's what I see there. And then the next couple weeks after that, you've got at Indy, which it's tough to win a division game on the road, obviously, and then home against San Francisco. I'm given another two L's, and for me, that's five straight. Yeah, Six I have two L's there as well. Ugly. I think it's going to be tough to go to Indy in a tough divisional road matchup. It always is, no matter when we're playing Indy, no matter where we're playing Indy. I think that's one of our toughest matchups uh, in the division. And coming off, I think, two rough games against Seattle and Buffalo, it's going to bring them down. They're going to go to Indy and have a tough time there and take their third straight loss. And then San Francisco is going to come down to Duval, and and I think they're going to hand them their fourth straight loss uh, based on my record. And I just, no matter where San Francisco is with their quarterback play, they have a stellar defense, and they can run the ball. They're going to smash you in the mouth, and they're really going to control the game. And I think, again, a tough matchup coming off three straight losses at that point, they're going to get handed another loss by San Francisco. Yeah, I'm with you. Now, finally, I think we're going to get a reprieve from the losing when the Jaguars take on the Falcons in Duval County. I do like what the Falcons have on offense, but I am not sold on their defense, not sold on, um, not sold on their running game, although I do like Mike Davis. We'll see how that plays out. But I do think the Jaguars are going to pick up a W and break the losing. I agree. The Falcons have shown time and time again that with the weapons they have and the offensive firepower they have, they still can't win more than four games. And it is a question to me. I, I don't understand it, but I think it continues. And I think the Falcons are not going to be very good this year, even though they had Kyle Pitts. You'll see a big step back, in my opinion, with Matt Ryan. And the Jaguars are going to get a little break there and pick up a W. All right. Now, uh, two more tough games on the road at Los Angeles Rams, at Tennessee Titans. I don't see a win in either of those contests. Yeah, I'll make it real quick for you. West Coast, that's a loss. Derrick Henry, that's a loss. (laughs) Pretty easy there. Now, hopefully the Jags can kind of correct some of the past past regime's errors in, in these ways, but until we see it, that's going to be tough to predict, um, especially in 2021. So then, you've for me, you've lost 
eight of the last nine games, unfortunately. But you got Houston up next and Jacksonville. I think that's an easy one to predict a dub. The clean sweep for the Jaguars over the I Texans. I agree. In Coming into this game, I have them at a five and eight. And, uh, you know, it was a tough stretch after the bye, but you're going to get, um, you know, a couple teams here in the next few weeks that you will outmatch. And I think Houston still will not have found their legs this late in the season. There's too much question around who the quarterback is going to be. That's a win for the Jacksonville Jaguars in Duval. Yeah. And then at the New York Jets, it could be not the greatest weather. You're going to see Trevor Lawrence and Zach Wilson facing off there. Two new head coaches, two new quarterbacks, number one and two overall. I just don't think the Jets are ready. I do really love some of what they've done on the offensive line, some of what they've done on offense. And I think Robert Salah is going to be a good coach. I think they're going to eventually have a good defense, but I think the Jags are going to I think it's going to take them a couple years to really build their identity. They're on the way there. I do love Robert Salah. I love what they did with the offensive line, but that can only get you so far. They still don't have very many weapons around Zach Wilson. I don't think Zach Wilson is going to come out and light the world on fire. And I could be completely wrong, but I think Trevor Lawrence is a much better quarterback. The Jaguars are in a much better position. And I think you can take two straight wins right there. Uh, And I think you're going to go to New York and and show everybody why Trevor Lawrence was the correct number one overall pick. And I thought it was kind of curious. They did not have that game slated a little bit sooner. Do you think that's because they wanted both of these rookie quarterbacks to be in full season swing? Or I just think there's too much risk there with, with one guy going down or something to prevent that marquee matchup. Yeah, it's interesting. Maybe they wanted to ensure that they're both starting at that point. I don't think you're going to have to worry about that, even if you put what it in the, the first quarter of the season. Roster? But um, yeah, I don't think it's something to worry about. It is curious. I'm not sure why they did that. Maybe, maybe they think they'll be competing for playoff spots or for rookie of the year or something like that. Who knows? Um, but then to round out the season, the 17-game schedule, you've got at New England and then versus Indy at home. I'm going to go an L in New England. It is tough for rookies to beat Bill Belichick, and it is tough to win in Foxborough. I think they did enough to be very competitive. They were already competitive in 2020. I think they'll be more competitive in 2021 in New England. And I'll, I'll give the Jags a, a loss there. And then I think Trevor Lawrence and and the rest of the offense, the defense is starting to come together hosting Indianapolis at home in the final game of the season. I think the Jaguars go to New England, get a little bit of revenge for 2017. I think they win in New England. I don't think New England's going to be very competitive this year. I think uh, Cam Newton will take a step back. I still don't think he is the quarterback he used to be, and I think it's going to be even harder for him in Bill Belichick's offense. They say that it takes some time to learn that offense, but I've only seen one quarterback master that offense, and his name is Tom Brady, and he's the greatest of all time. So until somebody else does it, I'm just going to go ahead and assume that I think it's too complex for really any quarterback, not even just Cam Newton or, or anybody else they brought in. I just I don't see that happening. So I don't think they're going to be very competitive. I think we'll see Mac Jones by then, and that'll be a nice little uh, treat for us to see. Hopefully the Jaguars get after Mac Jones. Um, and then I think we're going to split with Indy and win at home in week, what will that be, week 18? That'll bring us to 9-8. and eight. I don't know if that puts us in the playoffs, yeah. but I think it gets us close. Nice. Yeah, I'm at eight and nine. You're at nine and eight. We saw a lot of this schedule the same way, and we had not discussed this prior. Again, this is an unofficial schedule. The schedule will release later uh, Wednesday evening. By the time you're listening to this, it will be official. And uh, hopefully we don't have any errors here. Uh, 
and what what how the schedule will shape out. But yeah, we've both got them right around 500, hovering at that line. You can't go 500 in the NFL anymore. But uh, I've got them at eight and nine, and Jeremy at nine and eight. This is subject to change. We will definitely do another schedule or record prediction down the road before the start of the regular season. But we're just having some fun looking at the schedule. It's exciting to see now what the Jaguars will have to face throughout the season. I think what you could see, neither of us were this optimistic about it, but if they get hot in the first four weeks, you could see them take off some of these teams in the middle of the schedule that you wouldn't necessarily think that they can beat. And then they they close the season with some winnable games as well. That You're middle stretch right. is I the tough part. I think this schedule allows for the Jaguars to come out and get a few wins early, get really some momentum building. Now, again, I'm just basing this off the strict pedigree of each team as it stands right now. So you're right. If if they get hot, if they start rolling, if some of these teams in the middle, Seattle, Buffalo, um, San Fran, if they're not playing so well, you know, you might be able to sneak a couple wins in that tough stretch. And then, you know, you round out the bottom of the schedule again with some very, very winnable games. So they may be in a position if they do things right to even have a better record than what we're looking at. Yeah. And of course they could struggle. Um, this is a first-year head coach, rookie quarterback, a lot of newness. So it might not be as good as we predict, but I, I'd i be shocked if they don't beat the Texans twice, and then that sets you up as a baseline to go get some more Ws as well. They should beat the Jets on paper. They should beat the Bengals on paper. So we'll see how it all plays out, but that's what we see from this initial schedule that that we've gotten our hands on, thanks to some of the guys on Twitter, Dilla, been working at it hard and made by Tim. So um yeah, eight and nine for me, nine and eight for Jeremy. We'll see how it how it shakes out later on this fall and we'll do a lot more work on the Jaguars getting you ready for the season. Uh, make sure to pay attention. Rookie minicamp is this weekend. I'm sure there's gonna be a lot of updates from that. It's not gonna be too hot and heavy of a workload for those guys, but it'll be cool to see some pictures of them on the practice field in their Jaguars gear. Uh, that'll be a lot of fun. I won't be there again because of my birthday, but um, I'll be having very some exciting. fun. Anyways. We're getting very, very close. Things are starting to really uh, take shape. And, um, you know, I, once these mini camps and these OTAs start coming up, I mean, we're back to football. We're in the swing of things, and we're only a few months away from some preseason action. Yep, back to football. Gotta love it. Um, oh, here's some quick news at the very end. Blake Bortles is going to wow. sign with the Green Bay Packers as really? a quarterback. Good for him. Reuniting with Hackett up there behind Aaron Rodgers. Interesting. Yeah. Always happy for Blake hey, I Bortles. I love Blake. Still one of another my favorite players that have come through Jacksonville, regardless of the ups and downs, man. I just think Blake was fun. Yeah, he was a lot of fun. But that's going to do it for the show. Thanks so much for listening. Don't forget to leave us a review if you enjoy us. Uh, They really help us out uh, more than you know. Shout out to Bold City Brewery again. Find them at Bold City Brewery on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, boldcitybrewery.com. Enjoy your weekend, Duval. Go Jags. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. 
that crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.